Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone, welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 231 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson, with me again this week, second week in a row. My friend and yours, Jason Linden. How are you today, Jason? I'm good, but apparently I need to insult Adam Dunn and Virginia more so that I don't get invited back so often. I know. I keep telling you that you're banned, and yet you're coming back more often for some reason. Well, that just lets everybody know really how how easy it is to get me because you must have no other options. Well, as a matter of fact, every time you're on the podcast, the, the audience should really just understand that it's because you're my last option i've asked yeah. everybody else everybody else has turned me down absolutely and i'm comfortable with that <laughs> and it's not true at all i'm gonna give a quick plug here jason do you mind if i give a quick plug only if it involves your book oh my book the big 50 the men and moments that made the cincinnati reds available from triumph books at all local booksellers this weekend um my co-author chris garber and i uh, and i mentioned it briefly last week i just want to mention it briefly here and then we'll get to the fun stuff uh, we're going to be at this Books by the Banks, the Midwest's largest book festival, downtown Cincinnati this weekend, Saturday from 10 to 4 at the Duke Energy Center there in downtown. Um, it's, it's supposed to be a really, I've not been to this book festival before, but everyone tells me it's just a really good time. And Chris and I are also going to be from 1030 to 1130, we're going to be at a... Uh, on an, an author panel about Cincinnati sports. So should be fun. Uh, I'm expecting to see everyone come out. If you need more information, go to redlegnation.com. There's a post there, or you can look at our Twitter feeds um, for more information. But uh, if you come out to see me, I expect to hear you uh, say, Lisa Alberto Bonilla. Okay. Is that too much to ask? Bonilla. All right, so that's the that's the uh, that's the plug. Now we're gonna have um, it's turned into a very popular segment here, Jason. We're gonna have some more viewer mail today. What do you think about that? Uh, I think that I'm really curious what your definition of popular is. Well, as popular as anything can can be on this show, where we only have like six listeners, but but we do have a number of viewer mail questions today. So that's gonna be the the big topic. It's, uh, it's nice how every time you give your mom a new name from the viewer mail. <laughs> I know. She has like six different phones, and she downloads the podcast on each of them um, and just emails me. Oh, uh, Chad, Chad's mom. <laughs> but before we do that, really the only news out there, and it's not, not really much news to report, but it's a little bit, is uh, more on the ongoing search for a Reds manager. And let me just catch everyone up if you have not uh, seen what's been going on. The Reds completed the first round of interviews, the interview 12 candidates for the managerial job and th- this week they are doing the second round of interviews and we know of at least three people who have been asked back uh, for a second interview there may be more but we know the only three that we know are joe girardi brad osmus and david bell girardi of course the former yankees manager osmus former tigers manager and david bell former minor league manager for the reds been with the uh Cubs and the Cardinals and the Giants the last few years. And uh, all three as well have interviewed with other teams for their managerial jobs, uh, the Rangers, Blue Jays, Angels. So any thoughts about that, Jason? Um, No. Um, I mean, of that group, based on what I know, I would prefer Bell if it ended up being one of those three. Um, I don't feel like Girardi is likely to be a real good fit, but also I don't know anything. 
Um, <laughs> well, that's my official stance. Jason um, Linden, I don't know anything. That's going to be your uh, campaign slogan, right? Yeah, of course. When I run for the thing I could never get elected to. <laughs> um, I think of those three, I'm, I'm with you, David Bell, just from what we know, and we're not in the interviews. Um, I tried to get an interview and they wouldn't offer me an interview for the managerial job. But Because no one likes you, Chad. Oh, did I say that out loud? Whoops. Jason, I mean, I'm, I'm really just not feeling the love. You got quiet over there for a second. I thought I, I thought I genuinely hurt you for just a moment there. I had to take a moment because a single tear was streaming down my cheek. You're supposed to be impenetrable, Chad. <laughs> I know, right? Um, but I'm with you on this one, and just in terms of what we know publicly, David Bell has said a lot of the right things. He fits the profile that you and I discussed on a previous podcast of sort of a younger guy, recent uh, player. He had a 12-year career. Um, yeah. And he also checks another box that's always been big with the Reds, and that is uh, he has a history with the Reds, not just as a as a manager in the minor leagues, but his dad and his grandfather both played for Cincinnati. So, you know, uh, the other two, I don't know. I, I think they have the former big league manager box checked. As yeah. That should be a box. I'm not sure that it should be. A lot of the teams that played in the playoffs this year are led by first-time managers. But, you know, I don't know enough about Girardi or Awesomes to know how open they are to uh, implementing some, some some advanced analytical concepts like other teams have. And like the Reds have clearly, clearly been very slow to uh, implement some of these things on the field. Um I'm watching these playoffs, and I'm just seeing teams that are playing a different game than the Reds. Is that fair? Yeah, that's very fair. Very fair. It's sad. So anyway, uh, there was some a report that Rocco Baldelli from Tampa Bay had uh, had a really good first interview, but we haven't heard if he's going to get it. He still may get it into the second round of interviews, but uh, that's a inter- very interesting name to me. Yeah, you? I didn't even really know that he had a like you know aspirations or history. Like I didn't know anything about him. He was kind of off my radar since his playing career ended. Uh, and it's it's very intriguing. I mean, if if he's he comes from a place that you wouldn't mind seeing the next manager come from, that's for sure. Yeah, Tampa. Um, and he like David Bell. There's some quotes out there that you can uh, read of his where it's very clear that he's excited about. Um, you know, the way baseball is going in terms of all the available information and trying to implement that, uh, communicate it to the players to try to help their performance. And so he and Bell, that's the reason that, that those two are really my, my favorites, just because I know for a fact these guys have said things publicly that make me believe uh, they're going to be open. That's all I'm asking for, be open. Um, yeah. Girardi and Osmus may be, and they may have said all the right things in their interview. I, I don't know, that, um, you know, but Bell and Baldelli uh, – have and so i just don't want them to screw this up not that it's the will be the biggest screw up that they make uh this isn't the biggest decision they're going to make this off season but it's a pretty important one so if it's not going to be me i guess probably david bell right yes i think you should probably give up on that dream now chad <laughs> it's actually not my dream i just want I, listen i just want to be an assistant general manager i mean is that too much to ask yes <laughs> i have communicated to the organization privately that I want to be uh, hired. I want a job in the front office. And they're just ignoring me. I, I mean, I don't get it. Have they, he- have they heard my dulcet tones, as you, as you call them? 
What? I'm sorry. Were you talking? I wasn't <laughs> All right. How about we do another segment of viewer mail? That was your favorite segment last week, wasn't it, Jason? I enjoy that segment very much. Don't you love the name of it, viewer mail? I do. It should be called listener mail. No, no. It's not always up to me how these things go. It's, in fact, <laughs> it's never really up to me how these things go. This one's definitely not up to you because I like it to be called viewer mail. And by the responses I've gotten, people think I'm dumb. And that's basically what I'm going after here. So yeah. viewer mail for all of you who are not viewing the podcast. Uh, the first one I'm going to give you is actually coming uh, came to us on uh, Twitter.com. You know that website? I am aware of Twitter.com, yes. I occasionally exist on it. That is one garbage website. It's pretty terrible, <laughs> and you can tell because I'm there. Exactly. Uh, Matthew Kuhn tweeted at us, at Red Leg Radio at Red Lake Radio on Twitter, with a question for this week's uh, discussion. Here's here's the uh, suggestion from him. All right. Who plays Joey Votto in his future biopic? And the second part of that is, who would play Lisa Alberto Bonilla? So in the Joey Votto biopic, who plays Votto first? Well, I, that, hmm. That's a tough one. Because, like... You know, it's probably a few years down the road, and so you're going to want somebody who's who's going to be young enough to play it. And I, I, I have to confess that I don't engage with the culture often enough to make a reasonable guess. There's really only one answer here. Is What's the answer, Chad? The answer is playing Joey Votto in the Joey Votto, uh, I mean, the inevitable Joey Votto biopic. It's going to be Jeff Bridges, right? The dude. No? Nah, no. No. No, no. He doesn't have anything in common with <laughs> Votto. I love him. He's the most undude like uh, guy, I think, probably. He's, not, he's definitely not the dude. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who would play him. I can't think of anybody who strikes me as Joey Votto y. Um, <laughs> no one is Votto y enough. No, no not one is Votto. I could see, I could, I could kind of maybe sort of see like a younger Robert Downey Jr. But he's too old for that role now. Yeah. What about this Bradley Cooper guy? I saw him in a movie recently. Maybe. He might be able to pull it off. But again, by the time that, that movie's made, he's, he's probably going to be a little bit old for it. He might be a little old for it now. Well, but what if the Joey Votto biopic focuses on uh, Votto post-career? Well, then, okay. I, don't know. I can get on board then. I'm going to start writing the script tonight. Do it. Yeah, I think I'm going to. So who plays Lisa Alberto Bonilla? Really, again, I think there's only one uh, answer to that. You Dad, obviously. What's that, me? That's your role. That's your that's your Hollywood debut. No, no. I think what we have to do is, if we really want to make this thing a uh, a hit, Lisa Alberto's got to play himself. He can, mm-hmm. he can pull it off. Yeah, he, I bet he could. I mean, if he can find uh, the time away from pitching. <laughs> and he is a good pitcher. Man, Lisa Alberto. So, uh, okay, so we're going to go with uh, young Robert Downey. Or Bradley Cooper or uh, Jeff Bridges. You all have to let us know which of those three you prefer to play Joey Votto in the future biopic. All right, now let's get into some of the uh, emails we got. You can email us at chaddotson at redlegnation.com. That's at chaddotson at redlegnation.com with questions for the podcast. First question this week comes to us from Benjamin Robinson. Benjamin. Benji. What's that? Benji? Benji. Mm. I don't know if he goes by Benji, but he does now. 
I'm going to say Ben. Actually, I'm going to say Benjamin, because that's how you... Man, that's a long name. Benjamin Robinson. That's, that's almost as long as Chadwick Ulysses Dotson. Oh, almost. Oh. All right. Good evening, longtime listener slash viewer. See? Huh? Huh? Viewer? Uh, uh, yeah, still not nothing. There's nothing to see here, literally. <laughs> Benjamin knows what he's talking about. I'm already skeptical about Benji here. <laughs> I'm watching the National League Championship Series, and as I'm sure you've noticed by now, a lot of the teams left in contention have the ability to reach into their bullpen to get five or six strong innings and close out a tight game. Given this state, display of bullpen magic, what do you think about the current state of the Reds' bullpen? Uh, this year, the emergence of Amir Garrett, uh, along with uh, solid contributions of Jared Hughes and David Hernandez, helped the unit improve over 2017, where the likes of Asher Wojciechowski and uh, Bronson Arroyo overworked the bullpen. So does, the question really is, does the Reds' bullpen have what it takes to be elite? And if not, what needs to happen to help them improve? Thank you for your uh, question, uh, Benjamin, one of our favorite viewers here of Red Leg Nation Radio. Um, what do you, let's, let's talk about Amir Garrett, first of all. Okay. As part of the bullpen. Because I know you're a fan of Amir Garrett, and you've seen Amir Garrett at his best uh, in Louisville. Can he be one of these shut down, shut down type guys uh, like uh, like Benjamin's talking about? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you know what what I think what we've seen from Amir is that he's mostly is a very uh, a very good pitcher. I think he's someone we enjoy seeing in, in sort of crucial moments. So I guess there were some questions about how many times through the lineup can he go. But really, I mean, if you can get through the lineup once with his stuff, then I think you're okay. Yeah, get through the lineup once. That's you know three innings. Um, you know, uh, five or six innings. Yeah, you know, I don't know the Reds have anyone in the bullpen that can do five or six innings, uh, like you're talking about here. But I think in terms of being a shutdown reliever, obviously Rosella Iglesias is that guy. Um, yeah, very, go ahead. You know, sorry, I don't. Iglesias. I was looking at his numbers, and his like his peripheral numbers were really not that great this year. They were uh, not. His home runs were way up. Yeah, in a way that I was like, uh, yeah, his uh, his fielding independent pitching was 423 this year, which was far and away the highest mark in his major league career. Mm-hmm. Red should have traded him. Should have traded everybody. They should have traded me. Well, dare to dream. Yeah. Man, what if you got traded to, like, the Astros? You were an Astros podcaster. No, I like that Altuve kid. I got some other issues with that organization. Though. Oh, that's true. Let's not say the Astros. Let's go with the. How about the even the Brewers? It's a fun I, team I, to be around right now. It's that's a fun team to be around. I'll tell you. It seems to me from from Twitter. This is from my my limited interaction on Twitter. That the least terrible fan base seems to be the Mariners fan base. I could I could get on board with getting traded to the Mariners. Uh, yeah, but they don't win a lot. I mean, well, they had a pretty good season this year, but at least they're polite. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, so, but I, I think that that's a little bit of anomaly from Rizal to, to circle back around there. He did. He was. He gave up the. I think it was the long ball. Mostly was the big difference in his numbers. Yeah, probably. you're right. Yeah. And so, if, you know, if he, if he gets back to being the guy he was, he's a shutdown guy. Um, Amir Garrett, I absolutely think could be. I don't. But the Reds don't have a Josh Hader. You well, know. I think, you know, I honestly, I think what it comes down to, and I'd, I'd have to go look back at the numbers for all the various teams and things to say this, but I think that the what the Reds haven't had is the option to not severely overwork their relief pitchers. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Um, and I think that that's kind of come around to bite them some. You know, we've, I feel like we've seen the last several years the bullpen come out of the gate great, and then sometime after the All-Star break, they kind of just start to run out of gas. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I would guess that those other teams are maybe not pushing their relievers in quite the same way. You know, they're able to use them in, in a more deliberate fashion during the season because they're starting pitching is not such a disaster that they're, they're bringing guys in in the fifth inning every single day. Yeah, well, uh, I wonder with the way baseball's going whether or not uh, if you can get a five-inning starter, you're happy with that. Uh, yeah, I do too, but it's, it's, interest, it's interesting to see what the approach is going to be with, with how pitching staffs are handled for the next few years. I feel like in the last about year and a half, we've seen a really serious shift in, in pitcher usage. And it makes it difficult to really kind of predict what kind of bullpen the Reds have because things are changing. I mean, I think they have an adequate bullpen as it stands. I think that they should be on the lookout if they can uh, add someone to the bullpen in the offseason. And I think that uh, it's there's a decent chance that the bullpen will be improved just because we can get rid of guys like Wandy Peralta and uh, maybe some of these guys that are not cutting it as starters. You know, Cody Reed perhaps. Um, can uh, can fill in some of those roles, and and I think guys like uh, Reed, I think certainly think Romano, I still think he his stuff plays up in the bullpen. So and maybe maybe Robert Stevenson if he decides he will quit intentionally walking people. So, yeah, oh, grumble sounds. Yeah, let's not grumble about him too much. But I think that the Reds have a chance to have a their, their bullpen is adequate. It's not the disaster it was a couple years ago, and there's a chance that even with just the personnel they have now that it could be better but of course again hope is not a strategy and i'm afraid the reds are going to just sort of hope that some of those young guys can uh, improve it so anyway anything else you want to say about the bullpen jason no just that i mean i I do think the reds bullpen is maybe stronger than some other people do just because of the way it's had to be managed the last couple of years um and also really pitchers are fickle things and you never know what you're going to get from one year to the next and that's a great point that's a that's a great point Uh, the reds could have the best bullpen in the league next year because that's the way relief pitchers are yeah um and or they could be the worst i mean it's just really a strange uh, job and very few pitchers have been able to do what even iglesias has done which has been uh, relatively effective for several years that just you don't see that in very many bullpens so i would i wouldn't mind seeing him stretch out as iglesias more assuming he gets back to being the iglesias he was and be able to get three four innings out of him occasionally um and, and garrett as well but uh we'll have to see it's gonna be really interesting to watch it it will be interesting is a good way to describe it yeah, yeah, something to watch, and uh, I don't know. With just like with everything else with this team, who knows? Uh, so, thanks for the question, uh, Benjamin. Appreciate that. Next question. Let's see here. Let's go with how about Jordan Knight? How about Jordan Knight? How about Jordan? He's uh, he seems to be a pretty good guy because he sent us a question. He's listening to uh, he's listening to the viewer mail segment. Yeah, the the listener mail segment. Jason. All right. <laughs> Jordan's question is also about uh, pitching, but he's a more, uh, well, let's, uh, let's, let's, let me just read you his question and see what you think about it. Uh, during my workout this morning, for some reason, I had the disappointment of Reds pitching on my mind. Yeah, that's not a good workout at all. Get yourself pumped up. Oh, during the workout, you think about how if you try hard, you could be a major league pitcher because, hey, there's not enough of them around because the Reds can't find enough. Right. There you go. That's where I was heading with that. <laughs> so um, Jordan's had an idea he wanted our thoughts on. It seems all the pitching prospects we have 
coming to the league, struggled as a starter, decent in relief. With the success Tampa Bay's had with their opener, do you think these guys would be better if they knew they'd only have to pitch three or four innings in an outing? This kind of builds on the last one, but I think Castillo could be your only true starter of the current group, but the rest can be a mix between Garrett, Reed, Stevenson, Molly, Romano, and he said Bailey, even though he has a disgusting-looking emoji after that, um, and then probably Harvey, Lorenzen, and Scalavani. So I feel like it'd be easier for these guys. We just told them to give us all you got twice through a lineup and then get them out. I'd love to have the signings you guys are talking about, but I can't see the Reds spending that much money. Need to figure out what would do these pitching prospects anyway. So what do you think about the idea of taking Castillo be your only true starter and the rest of them be just a big mess of three to four inning guys? Um, I, I think that is one of those things that sounds like a good idea in practice, but what happens if one of your three or four inning guys gets blown up a couple days in a row? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Hashtag all of a sudden, your bullpen is real thin, real fast. And then you, you're playing the game. I mean, most teams, to some extent, shuffle their relief pitching uh, up and down between the majors and minors at this point. But, but there's a limit to the, to the system depth. So you have to be able to – every team has to be able to absorb, you know, the occasional runs of, of bad starting pitching. And if you're using almost all of your – bullpen on like a really regular basis then then there are going to be times when you can't absorb that but if you have guys like uh amir garrett cody reed robert stevenson tyler malley sal romano michael lorenzen if you have guys like that maybe you can have your fifth starter be you know whoever next, I think with next man up doable yeah I, I think i think i think you could maybe do one or two spots in the rotation that way i don't know that i think you could do all the spots in the rotation that way with roster construction as it currently is. Yes. Yes. Because you're going to end up having one bench bat and everybody else be pitchers. Yeah. Because you just can't cover. Uh, or you could do like some other teams have been doing, which is you really got a, the road from Louisville to Cincinnati would be uh, burnt up by uh, by cars going back and forth, shuttling relievers back and forth, you know. Get, an, yep. get a few innings, uh, you know, a night or two, and then let's get another fresh arm up here. Um, I could see that being the case, having a, I think it was the Dodgers that uh, really sort of started this, which is, you know, have a bullpen of uh, 15 guys and you're just mixing them in and out from AAA to the majors, uh, you know. But, of course, the Reds don't have enough to get one good bullpen. I like the idea of trying it with one. I, you know, the Reds go out and get a couple pitchers. You got Castillo and Scalafani, and then, you know, for that last spot, just, hey, let's mix and match. If, a guy, if you start a guy and you didn't have it, pull him quickly. Get the next guy in. See if he can go four innings. You know, it's it's easier said than done, I guess. But I'm not sure why other teams can be creative and the Reds can't, you know. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm kind of waiting for with pitching, and and I suppose we'll see if and when this happens, but, like, you know, in in baseball, the, the, the goalposts or whatever are always moving to some extent. And I'm waiting for a team to come around all of a sudden that has, like, Five really st- solid starters who all throw between 85 and about 92, and it's like six innings every day. Interesting. Because, I mean, there I feel like there's no value placed on sort of Bronson Arroyo-style guys right now, but, you know, uh, um, a starting rotation of five Bronson Arroyos would be a lot better than most major league starting rotations right now. Yeah, a league average guy that could get 215 innings. Yeah, it seems to me like that'd be very valuable. And and then I mean, once you get that guy out, you know, once he comes out of the game, you can tell the guys in your bullpen to just go out hard as they can. Yeah, yeah. 
what's happening with pigeon right now really is I don't, I don't know what i think about it frankly yeah but. it's really strange i I've, I've really mixed feelings about it also i'm gonna sound like a really old guy sort of yelling at a cloud in my backyard but uh here's you and i have been very clear about sort of agitating for the reds to be more proactive on the analytics analytics front and implementing uh more of the research into what we see on the field and the, the you know complaining about the reds being sort of behind the times but i got to tell you the, the the new the new game i still love this game it's still the best game around but you know i kind of liked it when you had the starter stud starters going trying to get seven innings and you had uh more balls hit in play and i i'm not sure this is it i'm still going to love the game i'm still going to watch it uh, i still do love it but i'm just not sure it's a very good spectator sport right now Am I am I overreacting? I, I don't think you are. I think more balls in play is more interesting, even if they don't necessarily lead to hits. Like, and I, I kind of include like reducing home runs in that. Like, I think fewer home runs, fewer strikeouts, fewer walks would be good. Like, fewer three true outcomes would make the game a more interesting game. And I I know that the players teams are going towards the most efficient ways to, to put runs on the board, and I know it all makes sense, but I just. I like home runs, but on the other hand, I don't like it when you. It means that uh, you know, strikeouts go through the roof and the balls in play are at a historic low. I don't know. I just yeah, I lo- it's, I, it's one of those things. Like the only sport I really follow um, is baseball, but I do remember back when the Spurs, you know, were first kind of at the beginning of their long run in basketball. Um, a lot of people complaining about how they were really good, but their style of basketball was really boring to watch. And I feel like that's just kind of affected all of Major League Baseball now. Like, the analytics have led us to a point where it feels like there's only really one way to be a good baseball team. So you basically get the same thing over and over again, and it ends up being uh, a less engaging style of play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's probably true. Um, It also reminds me of, I know you like to mock them, but uh, my University of Virginia Cavaliers basketball team, which... uh, Unless you're a Virginia fan, you think that the way they play, defense first, the pack line defense, uh, is everybody thinks it's oh, it's the most boring thing to watch in the world. I love it. Virginia fans love it because the program was a bunch of losers before, uh, for 20 years, basically, before Tony Bennett got there and started that. But uh, there's something to be said for the beauty of the game and the watchability of the game when you're trying to grow the game. Um uh, you said Spurs a minute ago, and it made me think, actually, of my favorite uh, soccer team, because I do follow Premier League soccer fairly closely, and Tottenham Hotspur. Spurs are my favorite team there. And they've evidently for years, literally over 100 years, their motto has been, the game is about glory. And they've been criticized over the years for not playing the most tactically correct game, and wanting to play a more beautiful game. And it's hard, I'd have to really dig that into it to explain exactly what I meant by that, but... Um, or what they mean by that, but I, I could use a more beautiful game in baseball. Uh, I don't. Ha- I don't need it to be tactically perfect. But with my team, I want them to be tactically perfect because I want them to have an edge. So it's right. It's, you know, what do you do? Where it's always like, well, it's okay for your team to do it, right. but not for somebody else's team to do it. And so it has to. You have to kind of, I guess, if for the good of the game or whatever, you periodically have to suck it up and just be like, actually, yeah. I mean. I still think baseball's great. I still, I'm, I'm not one of these guys that says baseball is, you know, dying. 
but I, I don't think it's the best product that we've ever had right now, even though there's some amazing players to watch. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Now, we've seen some teams in the playoffs, to go back to uh, the question, we've seen some teams in the playoffs get very creative with uh, pitching, and we've seen it in the regular season as well. Do you see the Reds doing anything drastic? Not necessarily as drastic as what we were just talking about, but anything different than what they've done in the past with their pitching staff next year? Because everybody else is going to be doing it. Like, is in like sort of really seriously trying, like, yeah, the opener, really hard to actually do different things. Yeah, probably not because they're behind everybody else in every way. I don't know how you can't be open to trying new things when you're losing 90 games a year, Jason. Well, maybe the new thing they're trying is doing everything the old way, maybe that's the new market inefficiency. Doing things the old way. At some point, maybe it'll, the pendulum will swing back. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, thanks for the question, Jordan Knight. Good question there, and uh, it doesn't make me optimistic about the Reds, but very little does these days. All right, another uh, question here. This is a pretty good one from our, our guy, John Juan, who's been with some us the last couple weeks. Mail. What's that? Some more listener mail. Some more viewer mail from John. Listener mail, yeah. (laughs) You're not going to do this, man. The title of this episode is going to be Viewer Mail. Yeah. John's question, in a crazy fictional world, I prefer crazy fictional worlds right now because the current world of baseball is not making me happy with respect to the Reds. But in the crazy fictional world, the Reds give you permission to pick the next Reds manager. Okay, but the question gets better. This is a good one, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about this. However, the Reds have also built a time machine and told you the next Reds manager had to be a former Reds manager, and you had to go back in time and bring them to the present to manage. Who would you go back and get? What year would you pull them from? And I absolutely know my answer, and if you, I'll say it if you want some time to think about that one, Jason. No, I, mine, I know mine. It's one of two. Okay, well, let's hear who you, if you want to go ahead and tell me who you think. It would, it would either be Davey Johnson or Jack McKeon. To me, it is, and everybody expects us to say Sparky Anderson or Lou Pinella. Yeah, let me tell you something. I mean, Sparky Anderson was great, but a bad man could win with that lineup. <laughs> he was a good manager, but yes, he had uh, he had a little easier time than Brian Price did. Yeah. Um, Sparky couldn't have won with Brian Price's roster. Not that Sparky was the same as Brian Price. He wasn't. No, but, one with Brian, with that roster is the point you're making. Right, exactly. Uh, to me, no question in my mind, and, and I've, I've got to sort of base it on guys that I've seen. Um, I could right. say, you know, uh, Deacon Bill McKechnie, um, you know, who was a fantastic manager in the 40s. There have been some good managers. But the guy I say is Davey Johnson, the first guy you mentioned. Yeah. Um, I think he's the most underrated manager in baseball history. And I want 1995 Davey Johnson. That's who I want because that guy, he pulled all the strings correctly. Um I just, I, he's really probably the only manager in my lifetime. Maybe Pinella, because I was a little young and I didn't really know enough to, to complain about Todd Benzinger starting so much at first base. But Davey Johnson's the man, one manager in my uh, Reds uh, life that I really just thought this guy is way ahead of the game. So that's yeah. that's me, Davey Johnson. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. And then the, the reason I also put Jack McKeon in there is that this is a young team, and 1999 Jack McKeon seemed awfully good at managing young players. Yeah, yeah. you know, And I wasn't a huge fan of McKeon 
uh, I, I wasn't, I didn't dislike him either. Uh, he was no Bob Boone, but the way he managed a bullpen back then, he, you talk about thinking outside the box. He was like 98 years old when he managed the Reds. I know he's like 107 now. Yeah. And he just, he, he was not afraid to, uh, manage his bullpen differently than anyone else. And, uh, to think outside the box at a time when everybody, you had to have your roles and the, the closure only came in uh, a clean inning, the ninth inning, you know, uh, he, he didn't do that. And so I had some other issues with his lineup construction, things like that. But, um, I, I hadn't thought about your, the way you put it, which is young team, you know, um, he was sort of a good, uh, team to shepherd that 99 bunch through, uh, to almost make the playoffs. So interesting. What about, uh, I know she didn't mention Ray Knight. You are correct. I did not mention Ray Knight because that would be a terrible idea. Oh yeah, that's right. Ray Knight's the worst. Is, is Ray Knight the worst Reds manager of your life or Bob Boone? It's gotta be the, one of those two, right? Got it. I think Bob Boone. You think Boone was worse than Ray Knight? Yeah, I do. I don't know, Jace. Can I, can I call you Jace? You can if you want to. <laughs> Those were two bad managers, though. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah, They that was bad. News. Uh, you know Bob Boone's uh, son manages the New York Yankees? Oh, God, he does. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that particular connection. <laughs> That's right. So when he screwed up some things in the playoffs, it didn't surprise me. <laughs> Although Bob Boone never screwed up anything in the playoffs, I'll tell you that right now. No, he, he never did. <laughs> That's what we can say about Bob Boone. He never messed up in the playoffs. That's right. Already <laughs> Um Yeah, I think uh, McKeon I can live with, but I, to me, Davey Johnson, I, I think Reds fans don't really understand. I think he really kind of gets uh, short shrift with the Reds. And uh, our chapter in the book, the big 50, the men and moments that made the Cincinnati Reds. We had to put a chapter about that 95 team in there because I just think it's sort of a forgotten team that came, you know, one step from the world series, just yeah. a really fun team. And Johnson was masterful with it. And he was run out of town by Marge shot because he was living with his uh, girlfriend and they hadn't gotten married yet. And so she gave the job to Ray Knight. Yep. We can say this. That's not the worst thing you can say about Marge Shot. It's not the worst. Oh, be a Reds fan. That's probably not top five, but uh, he ran away the best manager we've known. So if you don't know much about Davey Johnson, go absolutely and uh, learn more about him. He actually has a book out from Triumph Books, the publisher of uh, of our book, Jason, oh. right now. Biography. I've not read it yet. I just Sorry, Triumph. I didn't mean to say that. But... Uh, be interesting to see what he said about Marge in that book. So that would be very interesting. All right, that's John's question, and uh, we're going to go with uh, we're going to go with Davy Johnson since that was the, uh, almost a consensus. Can we just go with Davy Johnson? Yeah, I, I would not complain one bit about Davy yeah. Johnson. And I, I, you know, I, there are lots of good reasons for McKeon as well, but I don't know that there's anyone else that I really. I mean, Sparky, yeah. Is there anyone else that's even close? I mean, Pete was a he's a disaster of a human being, but you know. He, they were okay under Pete. Yeah. I mean, no, I don't think there's anybody really close besides McKee. I would put McKee in close, but otherwise, no. Dusty? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, he's not Davy Johnson, but Dusty, you know, he wasn't. Dusty no, had some real strengths. He seems overrated when you have him and underrated when you don't. Yeah. I think he had some crazy strengths about managing a clubhouse. 
mm-hmm. and was absolutely clueless once the actual game started. But the 21 hours of the day, other than the, the game, I think he's a pretty good manager. Is that fair? I definitely, uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Jim Riggleman? No. Um, think back who else we had. Dave Miley? No. Um, who else is there in there? Um, I mean, Lou was, Lou was good. He won a series. Vern yeah. Rapp? Interim manager Tommy Helms from 1989? Tony Perez got a, about three and a half games with the Reds. Tony Perez, 44 games. Tony Perez... Um, I would have been interested to know if Tony Perez could be a manager. Could have, you know, if he'd have actually gotten a chance. Maybe not. I don't know, but who yeah. will never know. Yeah, I don't think there's really a whole lot to choose from. I mean, yeah, you got Spar- Sparky, Lou, uh, Davey, McKeon, and uh, and yeah, I guess maybe Dusty. Although ugh, I really didn't like Dusty when he was here, but yeah, that's probably the top five of our lifetimes. Yeah, and I mean, you know, this is also, I think, it bears repeating one of the things, which is that manager does not matter nearly as much as player personnel. That's absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I, I can't tell you about Sparky as a manager because I never saw him manage. I guess I did with the Tigers when I was little, but I don't remember him with the Reds. Yeah, I remember him in terms of me being alive. I remember him as the Tigers manager. Yeah. Oh well, interesting question. I think we're gonna. I'm gonna go with David Bell. That's who I'm gonna go with. All right, thanks for the question, John. Let's see what else we've got here. Looks like we've got one from Michael Parker. Actually, Michael Parker sent us about 30 questions. Ooh, that's some very intense listener <laughs> mail from Michael Parker. Yes, viewer mail from Michael Parker. He actually sent us eight questions. We won't be able to get to all of them, but let's let's grab a couple of these. Let's uh, grab them. Um, hello, guys. Love listening to your views and unique opinions regarding our beloved Cincinnati Reds. Of course, the easy plan to correct the path of this team would be to sign... Luis Alberto Bonilla to a long-term deal. But since this won't happen, here are a few other questions I have that perhaps you can help answer. All right. So um, first question, and this is one that we've uh, talked about some, and so I want I do want to try to answer this one. The general rule uh, among the baseball gurus is that the Reds need to acquire at least two top-of-the-rotation pitchers for the 2019 campaign. What would be our best option? One, trade for an ace, which would require us to give up several pieces of the farm. Or two, buy an ace. And I bet your answer is exactly what mine is on that one. If it's between those two, you buy the ace. My answer is buy one and trade for the other. Well, yeah, yeah, you do both. <laughs> right. Ideally. Right. But if it's one or the other, you buy it. Yes. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, give up Bob Castellini's money or give up Taylor Trammell and Hunter Green or something, you know. I, mean, I don't think there's any question there. If those are your two options... Um, but, but I say do them both and not necessarily for an ace for both, but you can get two good pitchers, trade for one, buy one and yay, we're happy when 2019 starts. Um, the, the, the related question of that, that, that he has here, um, which is one that I want to know your opinion on, because I've argued with some people on Twitter about this one. If we had to trade for an ace, quote unquote, what, uh, what upper and lower level prospects would you be willing to part with? Which ones are untouchable? Oh, um, right now for me, the only one who I think it's not even that he's untouchable, but like for, okay, let's put it this way. I would trade anybody in the system except Nick Senzel for two years of an ace. Um, you need more Senzel. I want more than two years. More return. Yeah. 
Yeah. My opinion is no one's untouchable. And that's pretty much what you just said. Yeah. In the right deal, no one's untouchable. I would trade Nixon Zell in the right deal. I would trade Hunter Green, although his value is his value is still pretty high, frankly, yeah. at his age. Maybe not what it was when he wasn't injured, because you just don't know how he's going to come back. But he's, I, I would be, I'd deal with Jonathan India. Matter of fact, I'd be looking, to, I'd be actively trying to trade, not trying to trade, but actively shopping Jonathan India to see if you could get someone that helps the big league team. Not that I don't think India, who's last year's first round pick, is going to be a player. He, he very well might be. But he's a big asset right now, and he has a lot of value. Um, Taylor Trammell, I know everybody loves him, and I do too. But he's going to be in single leg again next year. Let's trade him. Um, so no one's untouchable, essentially. We both agree with that, right? Yeah, I totally agree. But uh, I like the way you put it. I, you know, I'm not going to give away Agassinzel for nothing. i got to get yeah. more, more than a couple years of uh, Jacob deGrom. Like can, can I can I just say one of my favorite one of my favorite uh, like baseball fan things? I can't wait to hear it. The fans who are like Nick Senzel is completely untouchable, and then if the Nick Senzel gets called up and like scuffles for like seventy plate appearances, bust. Well, he's a bust. The Reds should have traded him when he had value. Yeah, exactly. Like, relax, people. And, and a corollary to that that I can't stand is the the fan who's like, oh, the Reds need to go out and get some great players. But then when you go and trade some prospects for him, oh, what are you doing giving up all the Senzel? You know, yeah. they, they don't want to trade anybody of value, but they want to you know, get somebody back of value. That that fan is pretty common, on uh, especially on Twitter.com and in the comment sections of most websites. Not RedLegNation.com because we have the most intelligent readership around. Um, So... So no one's untouchable. The Reds should go out and uh, they should be actively trying to purchase a good pitcher and to trade for one. Um, I guess another corollary, his next question is, uh, as far as the rotation from 2019, with the understanding we need two pitchers not named Matt Harvey. Listen, he's been listening. My guy Michael's been listening to us. He knows that's what we say. Two pitchers not named Matt Harvey. Um Although I think yep. Harvey's going to be a red, but uh, I would assume Castillo, Molly, and Disco would fill out the rotation. That's my preference. What yeah. other impactful starting pitchers could you see helping this team in 2019? Do we see the debut of any of this group? Tony Santillan, Vladimir Gutierrez, Jacob Heatherly, Scott Moss, Jose Lopez. So I guess really the question is: Are there any other impactful starting pitchers in the organization? that you could see helping this team in 2019. My opinion is I think Tony Santillan could, had an incredible season, dropped his walk rate down low. Our buddy Doug Gray had a great piece on him at The Athletic this week. Um, Santillan could. He finished the year in double-A. I don't think Santillan sees the majors next year. I think he would in a different organization. I don't think he sees the majors for the Reds. Other than that, I don't see anyone else in the in the, in the the minors that can really help next year. Is that yeah. fair? I tend to agree. Uh, the one that I feel, I suppose, qualified to comment on is Jose Lopez. I saw him enough this year that I think I think he's a major league pitcher, but I think he's a relief pitcher. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. I don't think he's a starter, and I'm glad yeah, you said I mean, that. Yeah, I think he's a middle reliever. Um, he is. He just doesn't have enough margin for error. If he's got his good stuff, if he's got his good control, he's he's a very good pitcher. But if he loses even a little bit of it, he tends to get hit pretty hard. Um, and he had a decent season, but. Uh, yeah, and at, a t- at, a, at one time he was having a really good season, but I don't know. I don't know that anyone really considers him a, a starter in the big leagues. Yeah, I think 
I think he'll be in the big leagues, but it's going to be in kind of a, a middle relief role. Yeah, yeah. Um, but listen, there's value in those guys. We just need some more that can be be starters. Although we're still kind of falling into the trap of thinking about the baseball we've seen for the last hundred years. Well, we have seen it for a hundred years. And uh, um, well, yeah. you have. I'm not as old as you, but um, Dad, you're so much older than me, Jason. That's just not true. I mean, I can't believe you'd say that. Don't li- don't lie to the viewers. Okay, okay, it's true. I am 127. Listen, they are they're Boy, viewing us right now. They they know what we look like. They can tell that you're older than me. Anybody, please go find pictures of Chad and I, and and then uh, uh, listener mail next time can all be Chad reading all the people who think that uh, mail. I look older than him, and that should last all of about zero seconds. Viewer mail. <laughs> My favorite part of the podcast is when I say something dumb and you, we just hear you grumbling for about three or four seconds under your breath. Uh, that's the best part of the podcast. All right, let's uh, let's go down to uh, uh, again. We got a bunch of questions here, uh, Michael. Maybe you know we can't we're gonna be able to answer all these, but on to Sinzel, Nick Sinzel. You've seen Nick Sinzel play. You've talked to Nick Sinzel. I I have done both of those things. It's true. true. You, did you talk to Brandon Phillips when he was down in Louisville this year? <laughs> didn't get to talk to him did you i did not <laughs> okay well you can elaborate requested it was not granted the request. Let's, let's let's put it that way and 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 leave it and and leave it there yes the request for an interview with red leg nation was not was not granted um on to Suzelle. if he's as good as the baseball guys think he is why are we spending so much time creating and training for new positions for him should the lesser-ranked players find new positions? Um, I, I'm sure the Blue Jays not looking to create a new position for Bl- Vlad Jr. Also, I've heard comps to Houston's Alex Bregman. If Senzel be Bregman, then nobody should be rocking his natural position, including Suarez. So if, Suarez, if Senzel's as good as he is, why are we moving him somewhere else? Uh, hey, that's a one-up answer. What's that? Is... <laughs> oh, is that enough yet? That, that, here, Sinzel is going to be a good player, possibly a great player. We yeah. know we have an all-star third baseman in Eugenio Suarez. Um, that's, yeah. a, that's a proven commodity at this point. Yeah. Sinzel is athletic to play elsewhere. Um, and it's not like it's some kind of crazy uh, thing around baseball where you can't. The Reds have been crazy, insanely hesitant to try Nick Senzel other places until he was right on the verge of the majors. But other teams do it all the time. Mookie Betts was a second baseman. I mean, yeah. you know, teams teams do it all the time. And so I don't think it's a big deal because I think Senzel can handle other positions. He's a third baseman now. I don't think that it's... Uh, it's oh, I don't think he is a third baseman now. Well, but I mean, he's been a third baseman. But I don't yeah. think there's a, it, there's a lock that third base is his best position defensively. You know, I mean, he could... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he could play I, elsewhere and still be just as valuable. And, and there, there you got two positions filled up by possibly elite players. Yeah, I mean, I think yes. Uh, Senzel doesn't play over Suarez because Suarez has done it at the major league level, um, and Suarez is still very young. Um, and you and I think Senzel's going to be a good player. But yeah, we, oh, sure. But yeah. we know Suarez is. Yes. 
Yeah, we know Suarez is an all-star caliber player. Suarez is probably going to get some MVP votes this year. Like, he's not going to win, and he shouldn't. But he's he'll probably be, I would guess he'll be top 10. Yeah. And how do we know that Suarez is an all-star caliber third baseman? Because he literally made the all-star team this year. Yes. Uh, and he's still young. So yeah. uh, that's why you don't uh, want to move Suarez around. And, and also Suarez, with his body type, third base is probably the best position for him. Senzel's well, athletic enough to move. And it's kind of like, do you remember when everybody got grumpy because Joey Votto didn't move to make room for Yonder Alonso? I do remember that. Yeah, that. Exactly. Do you remember yeah. that, that I got grumpy when the Reds wouldn't move Scott Hatterberg to the bench to bring Joey Votto up? God, weren't we all grumpy about that? <laughs> Scott Hatterberg, and I like Scott Hatterberg. He was a good player. Um, he was in a good movie called Moneyball. You ever heard of that movie? I have heard of that movie. Fine film. Fine, fine film. I think they, I think there was a, they made a book out of that film. Is that how that worked? They did. They wrote a book based off of it, yes. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see if there's one more question we can pick out from Michael, who had a lot of time on his hands, which we appreciate. Thanks for uh, listening or viewing and uh, for asking questions. Let's see if there's one other we can grab before we finish this thing up. Here we go. This is a, sort of a tough one. What current everyday players, not counting Scooter or Billy, which sort of limits this, but what current everyday players, not counting Scooter or Billy, do you see not see on the next good Reds team? Meaning, do we trade Suarez for starting pitch help? Do we move a corner outfielder? Do we trade Iggy? Um, I mean, I think the least likely of the bunch would be Shebler. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, that's not a criticism of Shebler. You and yeah. I like, like Scott Shebler. Um, I got a, yeah. I, I put a Scott yeah. Shebler bobblehead on my shelf today. I like Scott Shebler. They made a Scott Shebler. I, yeah, I like Scott Shebler too. I think he's just, and I, and I assume you agree with me here, I think that it's just a circumstance where he has like the least margin for error, and it's the easiest to imagine the Reds parting ways with him. Yeah, I think he's a guy that can be a, uh, a relevant player on a good team. I think he can be a starter on a good team. I think, yeah. though, that uh, he's the guy that you probably can upgrade more easily because his window for being a, a good player at this level probably kind of small. He started late. Yeah, um, most most good teams have a Scott Shubler. Yeah, for, right. Um, but, you know, Scott, they, they don't tend to, tend to stick forever. I mean, you give the Reds an elite starting rotation with the offense they have now, Scott Shubler is going to be a fine player in the playoffs. You're not, he's not going to kill you. Yeah. Um, so he's the he's the guy. Uh, Scooter, I think, if the next good Reds team is in the next three years, Scooter's going to be on the team. Um, Billy maybe. Billy maybe. Um, I heard a rumor about Billy Hamilton. I'm going to go ahead and mention it, uh, but it's just a rumor. I don't know if it's true. The Reds have traded Billy Hamilton four times, and Bob Castellini's nixed it each time. You believe that, Jason? I don't not believe it. <laughs> I shouldn't be spreading those rumors. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to cut that out of this podcast. Um, so, yeah, Scott Shebler, move him. Uh, I don't see Billy, you know, being around. Um, I think Scooter will be around. I don't know if the, we'll have a good Reds team in the next few years. I think we will. Um, I have no uh, – I don't, I don't believe at all that Scooter's not going to be here for the next at least three years. Um, I don't trade Suarez unless I have to, but – Again, no one is untouchable. He's one of the last guys I'd trade, though, because he's a guy that can be here for the next. They got him signed for, what, seven more years. So, um, you know, I don't. 
I don't know. It depends on when the next good Reds team is going to be. You and I want to hope that it'll be next year. How much? Here's a question for you, Jason. This is one for me for viewer mail. Going into 2019, and again, we got a full off season for the Reds to make moves. But going into as we are to stand now versus as we were before the 2018 season, are you more optimistic or less optimistic about the Reds' ability to compete next less. year as you were this year? Less. But wouldn't you think one more year into the rebuild, we should be more optimistic? Yeah, you would think, but mm, mm, I I don't currently have confidence in the front office to all be on the same page enough to make moves that move the team toward winning. The more things we learn on the record and off the record make me concerned that, uh, I think the way you put it in in conversation with me is uh, we have a dysfunctional management team. Yeah. From ownership all the way down. Yep. Oh, goodness. Jason, we're supposed to be, this was supposed to be a year where we come into 2019 and we're pumped up. Finally, we're going to be competing in 2019. Yeah, that's what was supposed to happen. And it might happen, but. It yeah, might. Go yeah. get some pitching, guys. Go get some pitching, and then Jason and I will be right back uh, saying crazy things leading into next season. Yeah. All right. Thanks for the questions, Michael Parker. Really appreciate all of you listening to the podcast and uh, sending us questions for viewer mail to Chad Dotson at RedLegNation.com or on Twitter at RedLegRadio. Just make sure you uh, make it clear that you're sending it to the viewer mail segment. Viewer. Listener mail. We'll let the... Actually, let's be real technical. Listener email... Really? Are we are we gonna do this? Oh, it's it's done. Oh my goodness, English teachers! All right, let's. Uh, oh, I heard that teacher comment under there. <laughs> I heard that under your breath. That's it, Mister. Five pages on the first section of Anna Karenina by next week. I've already got this other essay on Beowulf. That's due. Well, tough luck, buddy, unless you want to come back for senior year again next year. Tough luck, buddy. I'm going to have a disaster of a nightmare tonight about having to come back for my senior year. (laughs) All right. That's Red Leg Nation Radio, episode number 231 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm Chad Dotson, at Dotson C on Twitter. He's Jason Linden, at Jason Linden on Twitter. We're at Red Leg Nation, or the podcast's uh, uh, Twitter handle uh, which is going to be more active going forward at Red Leg Radio. Go follow us, and we'll have a link to every show that comes open. But, of course, if you subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcasts, you'll get it automatically. And we always ask you to go leave us a review. Every time you leave a five-star review for us, especially on iTunes, it helps us uh, collect new viewers to the podcast, and uh, we certainly appreciate that. As we always say, if you like us, talk about us. If you don't like us, keep your mouth shut. Any final words of wisdom for us this week, Jason Linden? No. Sorry. I tried to muster something. I got nothing. Got nothing. Well, I got one last thing that we need to mention. And probably should have let off the podcast with this, but rest in peace, Wayne Krenchicki. Oh, yeah. You know, Wayne Krenchicki, backup infielder for the Reds in the uh, uh, 80s, he's sort of become a little bit of a punchline on this podcast only because... My first game ever as a as a it was in Riverfront Stadium as an eight year old. I wanted nothing more than to see Johnny Bench play, and Bench was a third baseman at that time. 
And all I'd, all I'd heard from my family was Johnny Bench this and Johnny Bench that because the Big Red Machine era had just ended and um, this was 83. And uh, so I just wanted to see Johnny Bench in his final season play. My first Reds game, we walk in and I'm just blown away by how gorgeous Riverfront Stadium is, which shows you that I was eight years old. And look at the, they announced the lineup and Johnny Bench is not playing, but Wayne Krenchicki is playing his place. So I've used Wayne Krenchicki as an avatar for my disappointment with the Reds over the years. And I'm going to have to retire that one because uh, he was, he had a good career, you know, played eight years in the big leagues. He was a Hall of Famer from the University of Miami baseball program and uh, died far too young at age 64. So uh, Wayne Krenchicki, we're putting a thought out for uh, for your family and uh, and rest in peace. So for Jason Linden and Wayne Krenchicki, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.